0: it's a meme, Mario. Love Channel 101, but hate looking at shit? Try Frequency 101. All you gotta do is record an audio pilot, take it five minutes or less, and submit it to... Submission CHANNEL101.COM! The listening audience will vote for the favorites, Mamma Mia, and the top five shows will return next month. And don't worry, it's all audio, so you won't have to look at any fop-dongs. Frequency 101. You won't have to look at any dicks or buttholes.
1: Hey everyone, this is a podcast called Primetime Flies. It's a Channel 101 podcast. I'm your host, uh, Todd Donald. I'm also responsible for my own delay in getting this episode up. And I'm sorry. Listen, it's Friday, February 25th, 2022. Tomorrow night, Saturday the 26th, will be Channel 101's screening and Frequency 101's broadcast for February 2022, all live on Twitch. Starting at 8 p.m. Pacific time, digital doors at 7.30 p.m. Uh, Watch it, vote for your five favorite shows of the ten For each thing Don't leave and and, and snub Frequency Like you did last month, fuckers Said with love In case you don't already know Frequency 101's podcast of shows is up on the Frequency 101 podcast Right now So you can vote in advance for those shows Right now even, hopefully unbiasedly (laughs) There are some great shows to hear Some great shows to watch All tomorrow night This is that time of the month and if you're feeling like you'd make a great show that'll blow people's minds and that it's time that you make it and submit it for next month, you're, you're absolutely right. Don't forget, as far as Channel 101 podcasts go, Adam Garland and Aaron Pierce host Surfing Through Time where they go back and watch each screening of shows in the order that they happened and talk about them with the people who were in or making shows in that screening. You not only get a great podcast, but you're supporting Channel 101 as well. And uh, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash channel 101 official and donating just even five measly bucks a month. So what are you doing not doing that? Playing with your fucking Legos? That sounds pretty fun, but support the 101 Patreon and then you'll have three channel 101 podcasts in your life. For those of you who've been involved in 101 for a long time, on or off, maybe you know my guests because you know them already. And all I should have to say is it's Josh Sasson. For the rest of you, he's the treasury board member of the Channel101.org non-profit thing we got going on. He he ran the whole thing at one point for a few years, and he is both quite the experience running around, visual effects, and editing on 101 shows, but also seeing this thing we call 101 evolve over 13 to 14 years. And for those like me who missed out, what was it like making live action shows pre-COVID? What, what were the screenings like? the downtown independent what's racer trash all about <laughs> this guest uh, has seen it all has their own unique take and experience and uh we chatted for a while he's a very sweet guy and i enjoyed our time chatting very much so give it up for josh sasson <laughs>
2: I'm thrilled to be here. I I uh, uh, I never got asked to do the uh the like official Channel 101 podcast when that was going. So I was always like ah, uh, like I, you know, when am I going to get to to dish on all my years at 101?
1: Yeah, I'm fascinated for so many reasons, one of which being because I ramble so much and because it's how I communicate. It's going to sound like I'm making it about me, but um <laughs> Fed Up was canceled that month, but like it was a show that was on the website the first time I ever went to one-on-one and became obsessed with the website, there was like car jumper episode one, breaking Mm -hmm. good business or whatever. Yeah. And fed up was one of my favorites. Like I was sad that it, that it got canceled, but like, I'll never forget going there for the first time.
2: You were at the, uh, uh, the downtown independent that night. Oh no, I've never
1: been to Los Angeles. I've only, Oh wow. (laughs) (laughs) Are you someone who was going to the screenings before you participated?
2: No, actually it, it's, it's sort of funny how I got started out. I moved to LA like late 2009 from uh, Western Massachusetts where I grew up and I moved back that summer. I had been living in Baltimore. went to college outside of Baltimore, stayed in Baltimore for a year, sort of realized I wanted to do film stuff. And Baltimore has like a teeny tiny film industry that I didn't really care to like navigate. So I was like, well, I think I'm going to end up in LA eventually, but I went back home, made a little money that summer working for some documentary uh, filmmakers I knew, and um, then drove out to L.A. So one of the first jobs I had was working on a documentary for this woman who lived in Sherman Oaks and had this band that she grew up with called The Cow Sills. And there's this guy, Ian Broyles, this young guy that was working with her that we got on pretty well. He turned out to be friends with a a fellow named Dave Seeger. Uh, Channel 101's own Dave Seeger. So uh, Never heard of him. Never heard of him. <laughs> right? So I got linked up. I saw like a Craigslist ad for the Channies. Like at that point, I'd sort of pieced together. There's this thing called Channel 101. Ian had sort of been like, oh yeah, you might be interested in what Dave and his friends are doing. And so Channel 101, uh, the Channies of that year came up uh, as like a volunteer opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I saw it and I was like, hey, can you get me in here? And so I got linked up with Dave Seeger and was one of like a three volunteers at um at that point it was still at Cinespace I think shit. the Channies were even taking taking place at Cinespace and I was like you know starstruck like Rob Schraub I knew about you know Scud growing up and sort of piecing together that I'd seen like House of Cosby's independently not realizing it was part of this greater network of uh, yeah, yeah. of cool shit uh, and like the cast of Community was there, and I just started watching Community, and I was like, "Wow, this is like I, I figured it out. This is where I'm supposed to be." And and I think I did a pretty good job like volunteering that night, so it was easy for me to be like, "You guys need help every month. Uh, this is exactly the kind of thing I'm looking for." So it was, it was, it was. Yeah, I hadn't even been to a proper screening at that point, and then I started attending the screenings in January as like a helping out with ballots and crayons and stuff like that. They would just give me little things to do and encourage me to like hang out and come to the parties and make my own stuff. And uh, I didn't always take them up on those things. I was sort of like timid for a lot of my like early years there and very intimidated, I would say by like Willie Roberts and, Danny uh, Jelinek and Jason Wetzel are walking around and just like starting to create these really high production value shows that are blowing everyone's minds. And Gigabots was happening when I first started going to the screenings and Rob was doing the show, The Suits. And it was just like one-on-one had sort of transformed into this thing where like, if you had a nice DSLR camera and, or you were like a stop motion artist or, you know you could make something that was like to a higher level than I think they had seen. Prior right. to that time, so it was like a, a cool, a really cool time to hop on board. But also, like I think I spent a lot of time just being like, just happy to be here. You know,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine or fantasize about it or what it must have been like.
2: It was, it was great. I mean, it was everyone was super sweet. Um, you know, a lot of larger than life personalities, like you'd see Mike Manischewitz running around at the screenings, just like really high energy, and everyone was so sweet to me. I wasn't always sure that i was like in for a while just because i was like i felt like such a kid in comparison but then it just turns out you know everyone is just people and everyone's like approachable uh and then i met you know benny yeah. and zach we sort of naturally fell into a a friendship through 101 and started to actually make stuff that uh got screened which was something that i i wanted i knew i wanted but i was like also not making enough to feel like i uh could ask for that, you know, but those guys are so good. It was like, oh yeah, we'll just get a green screen and dress Benny up like this character that he came up with and uh, right. see what we come up with.
1: We're in this COVID era trying to make connections and collaborations and in an internet only sometimes for some people it's their only avenue to try and collaborate as discord. Sure. And uh, would you say it's fair to say for the most part, that everyone just thinks of themselves as someone else who's doing the best they can? Uh, Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I, um, if I'm understanding the question. uh, I'm so
1: fucking sorry.
2: Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) No, no. You're good, man. I think that, yeah, everyone just thinks of themselves as like uh, wanting to make stuff with their friends. And, you know, there's definitely like an uh, an ambition to it, but there's not like I never saw someone with... In 101 was such an outsized ego that they were like, that they thought of themselves in a on a pedestal or anything like that, larger than life, whatever you want to call it. You know, there was a sense that like you had to, um, you had to sort of embrace failure, I think in 101, which is uh, sort of part of the Dan Harmon ethos, right? Like, yeah. you know, you have to be sort of humble to be able to accept that because every once in a while in 101, you would see, sort of entitled personalities come through and it it was clear that it was just like it's like well if you're not going to listen to what people are telling you like you're getting direct audience feedback in terms of what works and what doesn't or if you're not getting screened at all you're getting rejectee therapy like you can always like ask people whose shows are getting in like what am I doing wrong? All of that kind of thing. But for the most part people who came into channel 101 during the time that I was active in channel 101, it was just like yeah they all they all sort of got it and um that that was, uh, uh, you know, failure. And there's certainly some ego, you know, from time to time, that's just natural and creative communities, I think I've come to learn, but like, ego takes so many different shapes. And it can, there's healthy ego, you know, I think most people in 101, we're were on the level, so to speak.
1: Yeah, I'm going to jump ahead, just for a quick question. And then I want to ask you about when you started making shows, but when was the period that you took the reins of 101? Yeah,
2: I was trying, I I hope I get this right. I think Definitely 2015 was the year I took over from Dan uh, Merle. So it would have been 2015, 2016, 2017, I think. I think I think Adam and Aaron would have taken over in 2018. That sounds right. It was about a three year period and uh, and I think I did three Channies, which um, man, the Channies, it's like 60% of everything. <laughs> like you you know, you run the thing all year, but nothing like beats you up like the Channies does because it not to like get us off track but it was just, it was like the production value for the Channies was so absurdly good when I first started in 101. It it felt like
1: you had to to live up to that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's the period about uh, which I took over. uh, And definitely, you know, those guys, Dan and Morgan and Dave, they gave so much to 101 at the time. I think that's something I always sort of you know, it was like, how much should I be doing? Like how much bandwidth should I be, you know? And obviously there are other people, you know, it's not just me there. It's, it's like we had anywhere from like three to six or more volunteers at any given period of time. And, um, you know, Danielle ended up, you know, really uh, taking over the uh, the screening building and um, which is a huge part of the job also. So, yeah. but yeah, I, I've actually have a poster behind me of the 2015 um, Channies hosted by Brady Novak and I think it was Callie Kazoo did the, did the poster art and that was the first Channies I produced. So it's, uh, it's sentimental, but the poster's kind of, <laughs> kind of fucked up at this point. It's a little like warped and bubbly. So
1: does it face the sun? Cause
2: we don't, you know, uh, got a great place here, but we don't get a lot of like natural light in for most part during the. You know, I just think it, it was probably done cheaply and who knows, maybe one too many LA summers. It just degraded. Um. Here's a
1: clip from Fed Up, episode one, created by Benny Arthur and Josh Sasson. Uh, Josh Sasson also serving as director and editor.
0: Fed Up is completely unscripted with an outrageous tone that is often rude and crude. Parents, use some discretion for fuck's sake. Welcome to Fed Up, the only show with enough balls to call out all you fakes. Phonies and fucking sheeple out there. <laughs> fucking A. I'm in another Twitter feud with my second cousin Carl. I tweeted one little innocent statement and he got a bent out shape about it. Let me show you. <laughs> hey fucker. Excuse me? Oh! Did you forget about those Best Buy points that you promised you'd transfer me? Sorry, I guess I did. Is it really that big a deal? I think it's kind of fucked up for you to guilt me about missing your daughter's dumb christening when you pull shit like this. I had to pay full retail price on the Puss and Boots Blu-ray. Like a fucking asshole. The boss in your court, cousin. That's the best
1: one yet, Rifleman. Um... I was wondering, my dog Sarah Jessica
2: Barker ran away this morning. Could me maybe ask the viewers if they've seen her? No.
1: So going back to when you first started making shows, if I'm not mistaken, the bulk of your work was in like co-creating the shows and post-production. Is that yeah. editing, baby? Is that something that like? Yeah,
2: I, I think I saw that as my way in, as a way to just collaborate with people and see what worked. And Benny was, I think one of the earlier people I collaborated with on a show with his girlfriend at the time about her cat. That was like a t- talking cat that Benny was doing the voice for. It was called Chewy Nelson was the name of the show. I don't think it's screened. I think it was uh, rejected pilot only. Right. It's kind of funny though. I mean, it's, it, it it's, it's actually not, it's not bad. It's uh, but I think at that time, the standards were very, very high. Uh, there were, there was like a lot of very solid rejected pilots that were, you know, in any given period of one to one it was, it was pretty competitive. So that didn't get in, but working with Benny, he was pretty easygoing and, and funny and fun to hang out with. So I think that was probably the initial seed of like, uh, let's do a show together, you know.
1: What even then, from what you could see, was the thing that drew people into making shows?
2: God, I don't know. I mean...
1: I guess considering it was so many at the time that were being submitted.
2: It, it might be as simple as, you know, web video was just, there was this web video boom and this sort of dream that, you know, everyone is going to have their web video platform. Like they were invest, you know, whether it was like Go90 or, um, I don't know, there's all sorts of shit at the time. College humor and funny or die were, were still like a thing. <laughs> you know, and people were, it was maybe seen as sort of a, a talent pool, like people are actually selling shows and stuff. So even though you were sort of working outside of the boundaries of what you could show on actual TV and what they made in Hollywood, like you could get wilder with it, but it was still seen as a way to get into a legitimate, you know, like a professional sort of uh gig like that was true like Randall Park is not a movie star because of Channel 101 but it was you know as part of his journey and same with like Lonely Island and all of those big legacy players that were sort of part of that scene back in the day so I think that it had it also had the cult of personality aspect with Dan Harmon I, I you know I think he used to really him and Rob used to really command like a loyal following to those screenings. So there were a lot of, I think, maybe incentives back then that, you know, are very hard to replicate now. And by the time I took over, Dan and Rob were pretty done. And, um, you know, they certainly uh, gave a lot of time and effort into it and, and helped keep keep the lights on for, for a very long time. And um, I noticed that immediately, I think that they had sort of dipped out around Dan Merle's period uh, uh, period of time. And so the energy, you know, it's going to change just because the like dream of Dan Harmon saying your stuff is no longer part of the draw. Uh, you just right. really have to have, you know, it's, it, it's got to sort of evolve and be just about, all the other great aspects of it—just screening your stuff in a theater with a you know captive audience and getting the opportunity to make people laugh or whatever—it's it's you know it, uh, there's still major incentives, but I get why it started to sort of you know <laughs> it just in terms of audience uh, it started to dip a little bit around my uh, my period of of time.
1: There were two threads that I was thinking about, just trying to like get inside the 3D Josh Sasson experience of. <laughs> the time when you were just making shows, digital editing and sound and sorry, digital effects and sound. What would you say your major was? If I could use that as a, a one-on-one or a term.
2: Well, I think it definitely became visual effects, whatever uh, I, I was uh, uh, constantly making like, you know, goofy after effects stuff in my own projects and um, got asked by a couple of different friends to, you know, pop it. When that was on, uh, I was doing stuff for Colin and Chris and um, and I think that's when I got my first uh, Chani nomination for, for that. Like, I, I never thought I would get a Chani nomination, but I think VFX was the only stuff that netted me uh, uh, that consideration, because <laughs> that was something I, I had fun doing. And editing, I think, was, I don't know that I ever, how, like, aggressively I uh, made it clear that my ambition, you know, professionally was to edit more, right. because that is, you know, what I do now. and. So I wasn't necessarily editing a lot of shows, but I was getting asked to do VFX a fair amount. I would say that was my major. Sound was not my major. I I was always happy to do it. I definitely was not good at it. Uh, 101 is is an okay place to be not good at something, but if you're not getting better, you know... (laughs) And I think people in 101 are always like, oh, well, you know, they're nice to have around. We'll take what we can get. It's not a a disaster. But I was not, like, excelling in sound the way that I was, like, seemed to be gravitating towards better, you know, VFX challenges throughout my time in 101.
1: Like with anything, I think, uh, like, if it's something that you love doing, you will gradually get better. So if you're not getting better... Maybe you don't love it so much.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was, I think it was more an excuse just to hang out. I was getting invited to parties and stuff, but I think like, like I said earlier, I was sort of like, I was timid in those early years in 101. So I was just like, I think I realized at a certain point that I needed to just say yes to more things and people would ask me to come run sound on a show. And I'm like, yeah, of course. I'm thrilled to be around all these people I think are super cool and want to hang out with anyways. So, so yeah, I did sound a fair amount. and then. I think I just was like, I gotta graduate past holding a boom.
1: But you can understand how frustratingly solitary editing can be, especially when editing the the final product is is only ever the length of the thing. But like yeah. the labor and decision making and brain burnout that happen. Um, I imagine with the sign spinner that I mean I have never met her or talked to her, but I just imagine Nicole Bagby does several good takes. Yeah.
2: I mean, she. I was always so happy to work with Nicole because she was just like, yeah, she never missed. um, She was just super funny on and off camera that she was like totally made for that character. Her and Rochelle worked really, really well together. And um, and I'd known Rochelle years prior, like before Channel 101. And, and she's just like one of the most even handed and pleasant people in the world. And Nicole, you know, I think it's like a good counterforce for her sort of acting style. It's not chaotic. She's actually very disciplined and like trained, but she would definitely give you like very big takes (laughs) Uh, in in the best way possible.
1: I recently rewatched On the Rocks after doing a podcast, talking about it. Mm -hmm. And um, just that reminder of, I don't know if it's like improv and just like with drama. Improv with jokes and and riffs and bits is one thing, but to improv stuff that's like dissonant kind of funny. Yeah. That's a particular skill. And On the Rocks is a marathon of fucking chaos in a good way. It's an exquisite movie. Uh, Speaking of exquisite movies, uh, our RoboCop remake. (laughs) Oh,
2: Yeah. I was just talking about this the other day with someone. Cause I I do I I did this thing these past couple of years called Racer Trash, which recently ended uh, uh which is a yeah, I don't mean to I wonder if I'm hitting a question you had for for later, but uh Yeah <laughs> Yeah, some of the DNA of Racer Trash is obvious in um our Robocop remake, which of course, you know, produced by Dave Seeger and has all these uh incredible segments in it from Unbelievably talented people like Fatal Farm has their famous dick shooting sequence, and I—I'm pretty sure the guy who directed the last few Spider-Man movies has a, a segment in our RoboCop remake. Wow, assuming it's the same John Watts. So yeah, I mean, i, I remember I did something with uh, uh, Alex Kabitzki and Ariel Gardner on on that one, and um, we shot those it hacks. in my uh, those. <laughs> <laughs> Talentless hacks. Yeah, they uh, we shot that on a green screen in my living room at the, at the time with Chase and Nicole, and uh, they had written the script ahead of time. I think maybe shared it with me. I, I don't know. I was like, I was like directing with them, and and I ended up I think cutting that one too. It's pretty goofy, but that was a fun project, and it definitely sort of informed the uh, segmented like individual artist being part of the whole type thing that Racer Trash also does you know one editor typically takes a piece of the movie and then another editor and then you know up to like 20 something editors and you string it all together and it works shockingly well for the most part
1: i missed out on the the racer trash well the happening like the linear happening of it like what's the deal with it being over does that mean like the presentations of these movie edits are no longer available no you can find
2: you can find them all on uh, archive.org I, I think there's also a, a plan to do something that's like a, a torrent that people can download with, you know, probably better quality versions anyways, but right. I don't, I, I don't know when that's happening or if right. that's actually going to happen. But, I hope so, so.
1: Definitely. Sorry to cut you um,
2: Oh no, I, no, I'm sorry.
1: So what's over, I guess, is new uh, creations being done.
2: Yeah. I think everyone in the collective is, you know, everyone's interested in continuing to do this work, but not necessarily in this big unwieldy collective. You know, there's a lot of people in Racer Trash by the end, over 50. And it's really hard to uh, have like a cohesive vision for what your collective is, you know, when things move that quickly and you're working on so many projects at once. So it just sort of reached a point where it didn't make sense to try to move forward as this like amorphous blob of people. And um, uh, I suspect you will see other groups pop out of it. But the thing formerly uh known as, as Racer Trash is uh is gonna be no longer, sadly. But right. you know, I think there's also an argument for like things should end, you know. Uh this is not this is something that our 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 friend Peter Kuplaski, who's like a was a big booster of Racer Trash and helped us put on um these screenings in Toronto, you know, he was like, Oh, you know, punk only lasted for 18 months. And I'm not comparing Racer Trash to the punk movement, of course. Nice. <laughs> maybe, maybe tongue in cheek, but you know, I, I, I do think like it, it's kind of cool to go out on a, on a high note, a relatively high note of like, we were still producing cool work and it's a great jumping off point for whatever comes next for this sort of sub genre of video art or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, yeah. I know I'm, I'm interested, I'm still interested in that space mm-hmm. and being part of it and doing different, um, you know, experimentation with, with that sort of stuff. You you know, professionally, I'm maybe less ambitious in, in, in terms of, uh, trying to have like a, a you know, a career. I'm just, uh, like I, I went freelance, um, very recently this past fall after like a very long stint working in commercials and feeling like I was just sort of going to get stuck there, which was just not going to, not going to work for me. So anyway, I, uh, uh, I work as a freelance editor now, and it's definitely like having a creative outlet. I think takes a certain amount of pressure off of feeling like I need to be working on some, you know, amazing movie or show. It's like you're just able to have a group of people and a structure that you do that with, and people seem to enjoy it and follow it. Like uh, between Channel One Hundred One and Racer Trash, it's you know, it's been really cool to be able to experience that in my time in LA. Like direct feedback, you know, whether it's up, uh, up on screen at the Downtown Independent, or just on Twitch and as Channel One Hundred One sort of transitioned to Twitch only uh, enterprise for the time being. It's they've done a really amazing job with all the programming and trying to take advantage of the fact that you know they've got the ability now to like not just stream once a month, but every weekend or however right. often they've been doing that stuff. So One Hundred One is. The pandemic really took away the thing that made one-on-one exciting for a lot of people, but it also created these new opportunities to reach more people. So I I think that'll pay off in the long run. If people keep making stuff, it's like people are always looking for community and cool, fun things to make with their friends. It's like, I've certainly gotten a lot of mileage out of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Hey, do you like Fleetwood Mac? Try on Fleetwood Space, a show uh, co-created by Josh Sassen and Alex Kavitsky. Uh, Josh was the drummer. He's the co-director, co-writer, cinematographer, editor, and the digital effects guy. He's all over this, baby.
0: 1961. Yuri Gagarin is the first human in space. 1969. Neil Armstrong walks on the moon. 1977 fleetwood mac releases a perfect album rumors 1979 fleetwood mac puts out a double album tusk critics agree it's definitely a double album 2175 a nasa scientist clones the 1977 lineup of fleetwood mac for their first ever space rock tour Why did you differ so many of our resources for this? Fleetwood Mac, sir. They're great. Your ass is on the line for this because it's stupid. Here they come, gotta go. Lindsey Buckingham, Stevie Nicks, Christine McVie, bassist drummer, Fleetwood Mac on my ship. Is it blowing your guys mind or what? You're here on a spaceship, hundreds of years in the future, scientific advancements you couldn't even dream of. Now I was thinking about our next album. Husk. Double album. I can't perform tonight. My calendar says it's a waning crescent. Actually, the show tonight is on the moon, so it'll be a full moon.
1: I mean, if only through the internet. This is how I found uh, as many as I have my people. When I say say my people, I mean like my fans and and people who adore me and, and, (laughs) and, and boost me up with validation and high praise. (laughs) Or I just mean people that I relate to as much as I do creatively, even just nerding out on shit we like.
2: Yeah, it's I mean, it's unbelievably important, I think, and especially even living in L.A. where you have sort of access to people. It's still very, you know, it's true that L.A. can be very isolating as much as I like living here. It's uh, that energy is you can get really... It's easy to not see people, I guess, is all I'm trying to say. But right.
1: um, even pre-pandemic.
2: Exactly. Uh, and I forget what my point was, but well it had something to do with what we were talking about.
1: I was being abstract and confusing as I as I always am, but you were following And and also like to be able to connect with people that get you, and also look at your voice and recognize your voice, like your creative voice, and in what you make, and then you form these bonds and get to experience the experience of making stuff with people. Like there's a presence there, there's a company, there's a shared experience, and all that. It doesn't exist in that kind of abundance in too many places. But all things considered, where it is now, and it's been since the pandemic. Certainly, you are still aware of the value of 101. I think perhaps literally you are as uh, the treasury of our...
2: I am technically the treasurer of 101. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I uh, was asked to do that a couple of years ago or asked ask if I want to be part of sort of the, you know, non organizational side of, of 101 and it's cool to still feel because I'm not active, I'd say creatively in the community anymore and I don't you necessarily bastard. even pay, pay that much attention, I, I you know, just to be real, it's like, it's, it's hard enough for me, i found to juggle like a job in one creative community, but I love still having that sort of connection to 101 and um, feeling like I can offer something back to the community because it really, at the end the day like was a major lifeline for me when I you know and so early in my time out here like I know it's a cliche but it's really impossible to imagine what my life would have been out here without it because so much of at least socially all just reverberates from you know that 2009 Channies and the people I met there and yeah who knows what my life would be like had I not pursued that yeah and finding my people and uh it, it came as a huge relief, I think, to find my people. But I don't know as many people <laughs> in 101 right now, which is a, a cool and exciting because I'm like, I don't know who all these people are, but they I, it's really cool that they still want to do this. And uh, it seems like there's a lot of activity and there's a lot of uh, the frequency stuff I, I keep meaning to turn on as well. But to be honest with you, I've just my all my podcast listening has just cratered since the pandemic anyways. Cratered? Cratered as in like doesn't exist anymore, I guess. Right. Maybe I'm not using that word correctly. Well, I'll just uh, <laughs> give you a link to
1: mine alone and you can, I'm just kidding.
2: Yeah. Give me the, give me the good stuff. Just the greatest hits. And I really think the frequency stuff from afar to me, it looks like has been like, like a really exciting evolution of the 101. It almost sounds silly to say evolution because it's like, well, it's, you know, radio and podcasts have been around for a while, but right. I do think, you know, exporting that sort of episodic mild competition, vibe to podcast or, or uh, you know, audio only form is really cool. And uh, yeah, yeah. it seems like people dig it.
1: As, a, as an editor, you understand, like, there are certain elements that need to not just not compete with each other, but make really good friends with each other so that what you're looking at looks so fucking intentional that you don't get any credit for it. I'm just, yeah, <laughs> editing a is lot of rewarding. Game recognized game and people do appreciate when effort and time have been put into it. People do. People say that, right?
2: Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, I certainly know enough editors at this point that, like, at least I've surrounded myself with people who do appreciate it because not everyone is so lucky, I suppose, to edit and have that level of appreciation. <laughs> if that makes sense, professionally, it's like it's like exactly what you were just saying. If if you're a lot of the times, if you're doing your job right, it's invisible, you know, and um, it's not necessarily meant to be this flashy. Thing, which is, uh, you know, of course, I, I gravitate towards like Racer Trash was like a very yeah. like editor is rock star type concept of like, you know, we're part of a greater whole, but we uh, we do sort of want to like strut our stuff and show you something that's really uh, visually evocative, you know, but that's not necessarily what editing is, but <laughs> it can be that it's fun to push against the boundaries, I guess. But yeah, at the end of the day, editors are under <laughs> underappreciated because so much of the work is just meant to make something feel right and not necessarily make it feel like flashy and, fla- flash- flashy and
0: flash flash, flash.
1: there could be like a magazine the tiger beat of editing all you see is the back of a head and a chair underneath <laughs> and a hand on a mouse i i'm you know i'm still a mouse god damn it i'm just going to share this with the world my workplace has a group WhatsApp chat. Oh, yeah. Oh, conversations about nothing. Ding, ding, on ding, sun, ding. On
2: a Sunday, too. Yep, because it's,
1: a, it's yeah. a brewery. We're open. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Hopefully landing underneath my clothes will muffle
2: my fucking phone. Sorry about that. No, no, you're good. <laughs> I. This is the first time in like 10 years that I haven't been working right up to the Super Bowl because being in commercials, Super right? Bowl, it's like <laughs> the big time that you get... Ground into a, a, a fine dust uh, yeah. by the amount of hours. So, definitely working on a, being on on call on a WhatsApp group on a Sunday was something I was very familiar with for a long time. I'm very happy to not be, not have any Super Bowl uh, presence this year.
1: Yeah, and I mean it's in your town this year. Yeah,
2: yeah, you wouldn't know it. For, we're so far from Inglewood, right. but um, fair enough. But I'm sure it's traffic hell. <laughs> I'm personally excited for people to, like, take the Racer Trash stuff, download it, and, like, draw on it, essentially, you know, make it their own, like, because that's what we were doing, and um, we were remixing both stuff that we loved, and maybe we're casting, like, a harsh critical eye on at the same time, like, depending on what perspective you were coming from as an editor. So I thought, I think that's what made it so electric and cool was just like embracing, you know, something that's pretty common culturally, which is like remixing something. But I don't want it to sound too lofty, but I do think there's sort of this tongue in cheek, like, let's poke and prod at like sacred cows and, and, um, not hold anything in too much reverence because it's like it'll always exist the original will always exist but you know we're gonna do our silly version and we're gonna jokingly say it's the better version even though Uh, we're also not so secretly like maybe it is better (laughs) but for a totally different reason.
1: You've made a different thing with an existing thing.
2: Yeah. And I think there's something very cool about that, that it gets to exist alongside the original thing and also stands on its own as, you know, like uh, that sort of work, I think is probably, you get a deeper appreciation if you've actually like seen the thing, if you've seen, you know, Clueless or, you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon or any of the movies we did. But I think the best stuff we did also, like you could probably just watch it not having seen the movie and, still have a blast
1: i think it's fair to say it's like the person like do you want to hear uh do you want to hear john lennon's imagined or do you want to hear a cover version or a remix i don't know why i always go to that i've heard more songs but yeah there was no restriction on like
2: copyright well
1: have you seen the original okay well you're not allowed to watch
2: right and in fact the first one we did which was you know the wachowski's speed racer like I think everyone had seen the movie and because it was a smaller group at that point with Razor Trash, but actually, no, definitely people hadn't seen it. And I remember them complaining about the footage and being like, this is garbage, even though a lot of us really liked the movie. So it was like right from the get-go, it was this funny um, sort of stew of like differing opinions on the source material and different relationships with it from like not having seen it at all, you know, obviously are just limited to the eight minutes or 10 minutes that you had to work on. For whatever reason, that just really uh, all those different perspectives and approaches bounce off each other really nicely.
1: Well, as a, as a very apologetic person who only stuck their head through the window and uh, is only asking someone about it now, I can definitely appreciate, and I, I got a lot of backtracking homework to do. But certainly, it had quite a following.
2: It had a little uh, a little following. I, I there's some like very loyal core people who really been active in like the discord community and have reached out to a lot of us like socially and are super sweet, cool people. Like, I think we definitely felt like we found our people in racer trash, which is like, they weren't just necessarily wanting to watch cool videos, but they were wanting to sort of, you know, in a time where you couldn't necessarily go to the movie theater and run into your friends. It was like, let's figure out how to replicate that kind of experience. And it was sort of more than that too. You know, it was like part music festival (laughs) in some ways too, you know? But yeah, it, it, I, people got it right away. Like Peter Kuposki, who I mentioned earlier, was I think there uh, the very first night and praising us to all the cool kids of uh, film Twitter and and the sort of festival world and brought all these interesting people into the fold. It, you know, it was extremely like intoxicating energy during that moment of realizing like this goofy thing we had just made for our friend's birthday was had spawned this uh, loyal following of people who... We're like very hungry for this sort of thing. So, right. in the same way that I'd say 101 was so exciting in 2009, 2010, like that era when I was first hanging out, like this was also like uh, a vibe of like, oh, this is um, I gotta I gotta stick around and see what happens.
1: We don't have to talk about 101. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, sorry, I I, uh, I certainly didn't intend to talk half about racer trash, but you can no, get no. me back. <laughs>
1: Don't question anything you're doing, but also don't be too hard on me. Because, I mean, if you want to do that, as Plompkins would say, get in line behind Right. <laughs> when did you start feeling like there were people absorbing your work and, um, well, v- validating you in some way? Having a thing to say where it's like, you got some talent, kid.
2: Oh, man. I don't know if anyone ever... <laughs> People probably did say that to me. And I'm such a, I'm so bad at taking compliments. I just, I immediately decide that they said something completely different, but I can point to one thing in 101 where I felt like was the first time I, I probably let people see my sensibilities, my sense of humor. And it was this, uh, Uh, It was either 2010 or 11 Channies they did. um, They used to do those fake nomination reels where they would have like Jodie Foster or another celebrity would be nominated in every category. So it was like, you'd have all the real nominations. And then at the end you'd have an editor would have put together this like joke reel of something from a Jodie Foster movie. I fucking loved that. They did that for years and they did a Michael Keaton one that I did. But the one that I'm thinking of is, Al Pacino was uh, the fake nominee that year. And I put something together that was like very short and stupid. I don't even want to describe it. It's honestly, it might be a little offensive by 2022 standards. <laughs> like I'll, I'll put it this way. We, we borrowed a wheelchair and had my friend uh, pretend he didn't have legs and that Al Pacino is like mocking him. <laughs> it <laughs> like, it, it worked you know, the edit worked. And I remember like Tom Kaufman, who I thought was so funny being like, wow, this is really great. And feeling like, oh, okay, like maybe I can start to change the way that I think of myself and I can not be so embarrassed about the idea of, you know, putting creative work out in front of these people. And um, that was definitely a nice little nudge feeling like, okay, maybe I can do this. And I don't need to like beat myself up, you know, of course you do end up beating yourself up in so many different ways, but I I was at least able to start making stuff, not prolifically, but to the extent that I, I, it wasn't time wasted uh, all those years hanging hanging around 101.
1: Well, have you felt yourself evolving in what you do? You don't have to take uh, getting hired as the only marker of whether or not you have talent. Like, what about at this moment now? Like, do you believe you have it? And also... The evolution.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I I'm very hard on myself. But at the end of the day, if, if I look back over the you know last decade and all the things that I've done, the Killers I'm, great song. I <laughs> uh, I don't know that one. I do know the Killers, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, I can trace an evolution. I mean, I I open. I, it's easy for me to like resist that and be like, no, I've learned nothing. Uh, <laughs> tells you a lot about how you're I think aggressively about hard on yourself. Aggressively, just like. Don't even think about it, buddy. You know, I luckily I have like a lot of different interests, and I think there are a lot of different places I've been happy to sort of explore. But in terms of just editing and VFX, I would say I've definitely evolved a little bit, and things that I might have been embarrassed about in terms of my sensibilities, like I I tend to gravitate more towards the goofs. You know, that's something I think I haven't been able to drop since channel 101 is ultimately i do for me like making people laugh it's such a huge part of it so even if in racer trash which is a little less confined to comedy though there certainly is a lot of it still it, it's i'm still gravitating towards that but it feels like my sense of timing and structure and all of those great things that you worry about in editing has has definitely improved a little bit in terms of how i feel i mean yeah it's funny i'm at this point where i basically abandoned a career path recently and and it's hard not to be in a in like low level panic a lot of times, even though I pick I pick up work pretty easy, but which I'm very fortunate to be able to say. But I I've always sort of thought of myself as a as a fraud, man. It's like uh, it's sort of a I feel like a lot of people feel that way. You can be doing the thing for like a decade and still feel like. When I grew up, like it, it's like it still right. hasn't feeling like it hasn't happened yet, even though it kind of has. It's a uh, it's a strange thing. Um, but I've always been sort of like a, a low confidence person who tends to get where he needs to go, you know. And I think leaving the job was like me doing the the healthy thing for myself, and it's opened up uncertainty that can be very scary. But ultimately, it's about remembering like. You know, remembering that evolution and uh, and and the growth that uh, I've been able to experience through not just my work life but my creative community lives as well, if that makes sense.
1: <laughs> Are you interested in signing up in my investment banking? <laughs> yeah, I you know I would I would rate my belief in myself as like low mid risk,
2: <laughs> right. That's sort of where I fall I uh <clears throat> and it's definitely an obstacle you know it's it's weird because that ends up being the thing that sets you back it's like getting in our own way but for me it's never been so it's never been so bad that I can't make my way in this world it's not like crippling but it's 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 scary you're just like what's it gonna take to feel like i'm a I'm a real boy. you know, what's it gonna take to feel like I'm a real editor and that I'm doing the thing? and right. you know, I guess imposter syndrome is how people describe it. It's funny how it sort of uh, manifests. I know not not everybody feels that way about themselves, but it's been okay and i'm I'm like not so bad that I didn't have the good sense to say yes so many times uh, in Channel 101, you know, and working with people and you know the worst thing is just to. Not do anything.
1: Definitely. And not to keep unpacking this, but when you agree, like in your mind, to a, for lack of a better word, harsher assessment of uh, your job on a project or yourself as an editor, is the feeling that accompanies it yes, and this is how I'm supposed to feel. Or do you think to yourself, I wish that I didn't feel that way about myself. I wish that I believed in myself more. I've read stories about the kind of other confidences other people have, and I wish that was me. Like,
2: Yeah, no, I'd say the, the, the latter sounds pretty true to my experiences at this point. I've become very aware of it. And I think, which is good, right? Acknowledgement is the first step. And I have a very supportive partner. My, my girlfriend, Claire, is also an editor, which I think, uh, and she's very confident and talented editor. And, you know, I think it's helpful for me to be able to see myself reflected back in her and, and also see how she works. And uh, that's helped me a lot. So lately, I'm definitely in more in the mindset of trying to check myself when I get into those moods of feeling like like I don't know what I'm doing Um, (laughs) I've met very uh, you know incredibly successful editors who claim that they feel that way sometimes but um, so you never really know I mean sometimes people are just really good at hiding it and uh, I prefer just the brutally uh, honest approach maybe to my own detriment of just being like I freak out sometimes it's okay it's it's like it's a part of life feeling like you're uh, maybe you uh, are just like a, a little a little speck, right. you know, like I have some ego, but uh, at the same time, I'm just like, yeah, just a just a guy.
0: What's up, buddies?
1: Kayla here, host of the podcast Screen Vomit, which is a movie podcast for geeks and freaks of all kinds, breaking down films from the last 10 years, joined by people in various aspects of the entertainment industry, including musicians, filmmakers and even several 101ers that y'all know and love, including, but not limited to, Alex Kavitsky, Anna Saragina, and even Todd Donald himself. I love movies. You love movies. I've never met a 101er who doesn't know what a movie is. But even if you don't, maybe you'll learn a few things. So check it out, Screen vomit wherever you find your podcasts. Here's a clip from the Sign Spinner episode two by Nicole Bagby and Rochelle Williams. Josh Sasson serving as producer, cinematographer, and editor.
0: Wow,
2: check out those moves. Look at me go. I'm really great at sign spinning. Oops, I'm a sign spinner. And that's never going to change.
0: Oh, sorry I'm late. Oh, it's fine, Roxy. <gasps> go fire. What? Me? Roxy 2.0, isn't she beautiful? All I gotta do, charge her up, and she rotates this bad boy all day long. And then at night, I just lock her up in the storage closet. See, you can't do that with real women. We can't just replace human beings with robots. We have personalities, and talent, <laughs> and bills. Listen, I'm sorry kid, I'm trying to run a business here. Can she do this? Yes, oh, yes, can she sir. do this? Can she do this? can you do this? You're embarrassing yourself, Roxy. I'm sorry. It's over. Drink up, baby. Stay up all night. With the things you could do. You won't join. You, you. why aren't you at work roxy did you get fired from one of those shitty robots too yeah so he's emotionally vulnerable as i am right now yeah so oh wait hold on what am i doing you kidnapped my father you liked it what you liked it <sighs> I
1: don't, I don't want to think of editing as being the main thing that I do, but I love the job that I do edit, and it's something I do better than I do other things that I love doing more. It's weird.
2: Yeah, I know that God. feeling.
1: <laughs> if only we could edit our
2: emotions. That's right. It's the Greek tragedy. All editors are emotionally uh you know uh (laughs) no i'm just kidding but i do feel like i'm i'm very uh rambly uh in general not just on this podcast it's like you'd think i could take an editor's approach to just like my thoughts and uh emotions as i put them out into the world (laughs) yeah no we
1: live in raw track if you know what i'm saying
2: yes we do live in raw track i think that's a great way to put it that source audio yeah
1: there could be a really cool sci-fi meta movie about the editor's mind
2: yeah right I mean it's sort of a black mirror thing I think with like uh, what's the black mirror episode where there's like the eye camera and they're playing back all of their memories and it leads to some sort of conflict it's like yeah there's something there's something there in that episode that like turns on my editor brain and I don't know maybe it's just like maybe it's just the superficial like playback interface thing just brings me there these days. I am an editor, you know, it's a good thing to it's a good thing to say uh and feel like I'm able to say. It took me a while. It took me a while to come out here and be feel like I was allowed to call myself that and you know even doing stuff in channel 101 as an editor, getting that credit, you're like I'm not a real editor, I can't put this on my reel and show this to someone and have them be like what is this you know, show where someone has you know diarrhea or something. It's like, Channel one hundred one is like my favorite thing that I have no ability to gain employment from. That's not totally true.
1: I mean, that's the tricky thing. I'm I'm only now at this point in my life trying to figure out how it might be possible to get a, a career in sound design, for instance. That being the thing that I would say I'm better at. Mm-hmm. I'll never find the perfect way to to ask a question that just happens to have an answer that's a story, but mm-hmm. I fucking love stories.
2: I do have a funny thing that I was recounting the other day where I was helping out on a Dave Seeger show. Dave comes up a lot. Obviously, he's the first person who brought me in and, and he was like always asking me to, you know, come help on set because he was like, we'll give this guy something to do. And I helped out on a show starring DC Pearson called Master Cleanse that I think made it just uh, two episodes. And it was on episode two that Dave asked me if I wouldn't mind going to KFC on his dime, of course, and uh, (laughs) ordering, I think, I want to say like a dozen of those double down sandwiches, the ones that are just like they replaced the bread with two yeah. pieces of chicken, right? And uh, I forget what else is in there. <laughs> Delicious but it was like, an
1: idea, gross in practice.
2: You know, they had written it as, as like a MacGuffin you know, plot device in this episode. So they needed a bunch of them. And, then, and I think they need to be able to go through a bunch of them. And I remember ordering and like the woman, it might've been like 20. Because the woman audibly, when I ordered it up at the intercom, went, Dios mio. <laughs> it's like it's like yeah i know they're not all for me just doing a bit it's it's gonna be fine i mean it's not that amazing of a story but it was just like that's the sort of stuff we were running around doing it was not like you know it's not like as like a as a like a pa i certainly wasn't like pulling permits or like sometimes you would go and like get a uh, pick up like uh, a coffee tumbler or something from starbucks just to right. people at, at, at bare minimum on one-on-one sets uh had the sense generally to like keep people caffeinated and fed right um even if they couldn't pay them (laughs) generally speaking so that's just a funny thing that came up at one point I don't know there was another time where comedian Matt Bronner was at the screening and like clearly identified me as somebody else and like came up to me in the crowded uh, downtown independent lobby after the screening and just like gave me a hug and was like don't you walk away without saying hi to me. And I had like, I had never met him and I I knew who he was and he was on like mad TV. And I was like, uh, just like stood there like that. And then I think we like slowly walked away from each other, just realizing that, uh, no one had anything to say to each other because we didn't actually know one another. Uh, how's your brother Ron? Yeah. Oh, he's Ron. Yeah. I was always so like enamored by You know, when Steve Agee would show up to a screening or Ron Lynch or these guys that were like these really funny, you know, character actors that I liked. And, you know, Kumail was in Googie and would pop in uh, every now and then. And so it was like, this is me like evading your question, I guess, at this point. But uh, I've I've, I've been so uh,
1: sloppy, dude. Don't even.
2: (laughs) No, I mean, it's uh, uh, in terms of stories. I mean, trying to think what some of the big nights were. Like the Channies were, was always like a huge production and super memorable, but I don't remember there being like incredible stories out of that.
1: Uh, as a podcast listener, I love when someone finds a natural way that doesn't force you to do the work. Oh, do I have a story? Mm-hmm. That's a stupid position to put you in. But like- no,
2: I mean, it's a it, it's a very fair question. I mean, I, I should have, I also like, at the, as I was getting onto the podcast with you, uh, onto Zoom with you this afternoon, I was like, I was like, I really didn't think about what I was going to say at all. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what did I think I was going to do? But I, I think uh, in terms of winging it, uh, it, it could have it gone worse. The truth of the matter is like, I have a very bad memory at this point for a lot of things. You know, so much happened. All I was really always outside of any drama. Like I never dated anyone in, who was also doing 101. I'm not calling NVIDIA out there. I think like a lot of nice relationships came out of 101, but also like, I don't think this, it's controversial to say that a lot of 101 drama in various periods was born out of relationships that became for whatever reason right. dysfunctional. Like it's I've, I've it's, said that. Sorry. Yeah, I mean it's it's I think it would be silly to pretend like that's some sort of secret. Uh, you
1: know why it's possible in 101? Cuz it involves human beings <clears> who are <throat> mm-hmm. under the, a certain age. That's literally all you need for situations to arise in which people get horny and feel things. Um, like what right.
2: I mean it's <laughs> absolutely it's just it's it's only a matter of time like why would you not date in the community if you had the opportunity to I think it's like it, cuz for me it wasn't it's not like I made a rule like I wouldn't I just it, I I didn't I'll put it that way like I was just always dating women who are like doing their own thing and and in fact channel 101 was like always kind of a tricky thing to balance with a relationship because it did demand a certain amount of my time and energy and right. Uh, and I was always like, even when I was running 101, I was trying to like dream up new shows and stuff, even if I wasn't necessarily producing, uh, you know, a lot of work. Where was I going with all of that? I you were there any, doing like, the work, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, I would love to have more stories where I was like, well, there's a lot of drama, uh, that happens over the years, it's like kind of a bummer, and it, there's, uh, and there's. There are plenty of like fun stories and anecdotes to tell too. But in terms of like the dirt, I'm I'm pleased to say that I escaped with very little dirt on, <laughs> on me in terms of just like personal conflict. I mean, it, stuff happens and you're in communities with people and, you know, I would prefer to open myself up to that. You know what I mean? It's like, because not to say conflict is inevitable or anything like that. I'm not like alluding to something crazy that happened, right. but it is just like, It's like falling in love, putting yourself in that position to be loved and accept love. You're also accepting the risk that like one day you're going to fight and you're going to have to like be confronted with, you know, aspects about your personality and stuff. So it's like I think it's healthy to be in a community and be like vulnerable and, you know, but respectful of people. And I always try to approach it that way. And yeah. I hope that I fostered like a, a, some trust out of it because I just um, I was really like trying to hold 101 like this and also like right. show a lot of reverence to the people who are making stuff because I sort of wanted to be like them, <laughs>
1: you know? <laughs> I don't think confrontation or conflict and um, toxicity are mutually exclusive mm. because for sure, like I entered doing 101 at an age where, and in my personal experience, I've already, you know, I'm... I'm I'm not perfect or all the way there. I don't know what all the way there is, but I'm lucky and fortunate to be participating in something that is like one one with all the humility that I've already accrued, like knowing that I can keep making stuff and work with other people on stuff is, is like a constant when, yeah, sure. You don't want to start over every single month at the same time. It's like, like my ego can't be hurt. And it also <laughs> feel good when I feel like uh, someone like genuinely, appreciated something if only yeah. because it means maybe they want to work with me on something and I can share the experience um
2: absolutely i mean that's there's you know a lot of joy to be gained with just collaboration and finding like-minded people and it seems simple and obvious but it's like oh yeah that's uh uh, I, I personally can get a lot of mileage out of that, even if something I make doesn't um, reach like a ton of people. It's like, if you find that one person who's like, hey, that was really cool. I really appreciated that and that and that. It's like, uh, it's all I need sometimes. Well, I mean, you
1: strike me as someone with a good head on your shoulders, which goes a long way. I love the work that I've been able to have access to on 101.com, which is dead. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And uh, I, I can't speak for anyone else, but I can imagine from this conversation that you were a Joe to work with,
2: and I hope, uh, I hope I was nice to work with. I, I think I was. I, I think I, uh, I'm like I'm definitely a neurotic person, but um, luckily I don't think it manifests in that way where I'm ever like I would never like yell at people in like a context of being on set. I'm way more likely to just like be like I don't need that shot, <laughs> which is like a totally different problem. Is I think a good director is probably finds a way to be forceful without being a, a, a jerk, you know, not that I saw myself as like a big time, uh, a director ever in 101, but I directed a couple of things and, and it was always a really fun experience. But I know that I also was like, I think I'm a, maybe a little too laid back of just being like, yeah, it was probably fine. Right. <laughs> not, not like yeah. exacting, but you know, I just like to get funny people together and let them, yeah. let them figure it out. <laughs>
1: you can picture their performance in your head, the one that nails it, and it looks awesome. And they can replicate that for you in real life, but if you let them riff on it or whatever, they'll do something that's like, oh, see, there we go. Yeah, something
2: I I never could have uh, guessed, you know. The first pilot I ever did that got rejected was called Betsy Ross Mummy Fighter, and it was set in, like, colonial era. I was living in this big old house in West Adams that we were able to, like, you know, it didn't actually look like it was from the, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm so uh, not usually this uh, congested, but it didn't actually look like an 18th century home, but it was like, it had like nice dark wood beams and we were like, great. And um, I, there's this guy, Dave Futernick. Who sort of looked like me and was in Channel 101 was an actor, and he and I hit it off. And I wanted to cast him as Benjamin Franklin, and um, he was so silly, and it was such a such a sense of discovery on set of him just like riffing and you know because the script was whatever I wrote it. My first like collaborations with this guy Joey Cliff, who is now like a really successful TV uh, writer and just like super super sweet guy. I've I've stayed in touch with over the years and. Um, and we had a really fun time making it. it was supposed to be like a riff on Abraham Lincoln, um, zombie hunter. Right. To Well, to get to your question, first and foremost, it, it was sort of written with like uh Dave Fiedernick in mind. And then like we wrote a role for Benny and stuff. And it's, it's definitely helpful like with writing for Benny is so you can hear his voice like that. Yeah. And, you know, he's aware of that too. And his characters always have a very like strong Benny voice. That's like a fun variation on, you know, on him like it was fed up like he he brought that to us like pretty fully formed it was just like i'm this guy named you know the rifle man <laughs> and he's like <laughs> i know exactly what he looks like and he's got this mustache and he's kind of a dirt bag he had the performance all worked out so
1: that's the, um, that's the fed up right
2: that was for fed up and yeah. and we didn't quite figure it out for episode two in terms of like what the show was going to be ultimately, or maybe, we, you know, I think we did a thing where like, we didn't let the show live in the like established format that we had set up in the first episode. We were immediately like, let's do something different and it didn't quite work out. And uh, it's not like embarrassing or anything, but it's, it's sort of a classic sophomore episode right. fail in 101 to do that, to be like, okay, now I'm going to do everything that I really wanted to do. But really we just made like a totally different thing. Right. <laughs>
1: Anywho. Hey, here's a clip from episode one of Master Cleanse, a show by David Seeger, with Josh Sasson serving as sound man and uh, double-down go-getter guy.
0: Okay, let's see. Um, My friend Alan knows. Uh, I should have kept my
1: receipts. Oh, you want to see my shit? Amazing. It's completely
0: odorless and pure. Like a work of art.
2: Yeah. Or like a rock that fell in a nest of baby birds.
0: Oh, man. The Master Cleanse?
2: Yeah. It's 103 days of work. It's like an act of God. Yeah. Or like a rock that fell in a nest of baby birds. Congratulations,
0: Ian, on your world record. I'll go start your
2: paperwork. You yeah, know, I tried to go for the Master Cleanse record once. But now I'm just uh, trying to see how many cigarettes I can smoke at one time. <laughs> Hey, man, when you were on the cleanse, did you ever float? Float? No, it's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. It's just a diet. I'm I'm all over the place. Uh, I I think I sort of answered your questions in there, though.
1: (laughs) It's like there's two of us, right, people? Sorry. I'm, I'm hearing that after... Honestly, man, this has been fun. I, I I want to ask you one more thing. Sure. We're looking at 101 as it is right now. Mm-hmm. If you believe in
2: 101 having a future why? Yeah, that's a good question. And I can sort of also speak to like things of I, I you know, I I I I can speak to things that have happened in terms of like periods where like people have been talking shit about 101 and where it's at since like basically it, it in every iteration of 101 past a certain point. It was like, at first the heyday was like when they were doing the boo and those shows. And then it was the 2010, like 2000 to 2012 sort of era. You know, and I don't think anyone's trying to pretend that this sort of back half of 101's life up until this point has been. I think the thing that in terms of just Data, there's obviously been a dip in audience and sort of the community has shrunk over time and then it'll sort of come back a little bit and then it'll shrink back a little. It's like the pandemic has been obviously like a huge, huge factor in, in the past couple of years. I absolutely believe that 101 can keep going and continue experiencing growth and that this is, you know, this is like a good point at which to and and I, you know, I think these things are happening, sort of rethink what one-on-one can be and evolve it. And I, I think that's already starting to happen in a lot of different ways. And mm-hmm. it's hard because the seeds are being planted slowly. It's a labor of love. There's only so many people that can donate their time and energy to it. So, you know, the good news is it's it didn't die and I think it's got like a lot of like vital stuff happening. Though admittedly, like I don't tune in regularly anymore, but you know, I was as as recently as uh trading up, I was, you know, still paying some attention and and also helping out on that show with some really crummy graphics work so anyway
1: <laughs> steel of a deal Were you this, <laughs> yeah did you make the steel of a deal logo i did
2: yeah it's not not anything uh it started off as just like laziness and it, it was they they embraced it luckily dave and alex are pretty nice. pretty mellow guys it fit the vibe of the show right you know i i don't really know i don't want to speak as someone with like a lot of knowledge of creatively what's happening in 101 on one right now i know there's been a lot of transition a lot of people have left But, you know, I've been through those periods of, like, mass exodus, and it's very scary, and you think the bottom has fallen out, and where's the sort of uh, guideposts for, you know, what this community is going to be? Because ultimately, like, the creative leaders of the community... They really shape it. That's like a common misunderstanding of 101, like just the way that like it's a rotating group of creators. It's not like, I think there's always this paranoia when we were running it that it was like a, you know, a group of people who are just trying to hold on to power and they were only uh, letting their friends shows in and whatever. It's like, well, no, it's just, the structure is sound. And I think it's really cool that like the previous months, you know, winners get to decide who comes in next because like it is a good social experiment that I think has yet to fail of like, are people going to be so competitive that they're going to be like, Oh, well, we'll just bring in uncompetitive shows, but that's never happened. Everyone wants to watch good stuff and everyone wants to support good work. And I think I've never seen that energy disappear, even if it's arguably at a a lower sort of excitement level from not being able to have live screenings, most likely. Um, Yeah. And I, and I think like Aaron and Adam and Sevan, like they, you know, in all their respective roles have like done all the right things to expand 101's reach. And it's a really hard thing. I was really hard on myself about it, feeling like from my position that, you know, I wasn't doing enough outreach or, you know, there's only so much you can control as like the producer of 101 and uh, you can't really control like the trends Creatively, and in the industry that are happening also externally to affect, like going back to what I said earlier about like there being this big web TV boom and it sort of being a, a stepping stone into making, you know, quote unquote, legitimate television. When that dream disappeared, like that, like I think that was the most damaging thing to 101 in terms of perception because it's like, oh, well, okay, so I'm just making videos with my friends. And I'm not saying people left with that attitude, but. I do think it's like there are people who are probably like, well, I had my time in 101, but I do take seriously the fact that I want to like make a TV show one day. So they might have moved on to TV show jobs and just focused on that. But I think in there always seem to be new people coming into the fold. There's been a big boom in animation, which... I think we used to sort of, I think 101 used to like kind of thumb its nose at animation because you get a lot of low effort submissions. But I, I see a lot of really cool, inventive, you know, reasonably high production value stuff from over the past few years that's, yeah, that I think is, has shown that animation is like a still an incredibly viable medium, obviously. And 101 can be a, a way to support young animators or just people looking to not make whatever like kids show they're, you know, who want to do something else. So sometimes oh, yeah. it's just 101 is, not as much a stepping stone as it is a um it's just the outlet i don't know that's what it's always been for me i i I never really never really seriously thought i would like make a show and that it would get noticed and or that i would get like hired it was just you know i just want to do the thing and i think for some people that's going to be enough and some people with respect to them and their ambition they're just going to um they might not have the time for one anymore. That's totally fair. I mean, can't expect people to stick around forever. God bless the people, you know, the Willies and the Demorges and the Seegers and all of them who have like, they're still like, yeah, I'll, I'll help out any way I, I possibly can. And I see myself like a little step below that because I'm sort of like... I like being able to say I'm still part of 101 and help out in some way. But creatively, I think I'm, I don't see myself trying to make any more shows. Um, but I'm hopeful that the idea of 101 is still so good. It's just going to keep finding people and, you know, justify its existence that way.
1: But he is still willing to work on <clears throat> any one show as an editor and his private number is... <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, I you know, it's nobody's approached me in years. And I, I sort of assume that most people in 101... At this point, don't really know who I am, and that's totally fine because I, again, wasn't prolific, and and I'm secure and having had my time and my leaving my mark on one hundred and one in different ways. Yeah, nobody's nobody's coming to me and being like, "Hey, would you uh, collaborate with me on my show?" And I'd say if I had one like constructive criticism thing to people who are in one hundred and one now, if you, if you're not already doing this, like. I think it's good to like direct something and then, you know, if you want to edit it, great. But if you know someone else in the community who's just looking to get their hands dirty, like that's the real power of 101 is, was people linking up and cross pollinating throughout the different shows. And and I think when I look back to like that, oh shit Gumble era and, and um, you know, the fun that they were having with each other as friends like Kyle and Mike Manischewitz and yeah. sort of like the fun, gentle rivalry, but also like, I think there was some sort of little crossover element at some point with their shows like late in their respective seasons. Anyway, I, I just think that's that's like the lifeblood of 101 is people working together and it's really hard to do during a pandemic to do that safely. So I think um, hopefully if things ease that like people get out with cameras again and, and just start connecting with one another and you know, there's always a chance that 101 could grow out of just uh, that energy and maybe maybe a pandemic winding down i'm not saying it's winding down but <laughs> let's say in a hypothetical situation where it were that could be that could be uh, uh, just the energy that one-on-one needs to like usher in a new new creative era that's the like utopian outlook but yeah but i, I still think it's i still think it's got some life left in it and, and that everyone's doing a great job with trying to bring new ideas to it right now and i, I think it'll pay off
1: this will be one for the books. It's pretty sweet what we did today, <laughs> but also to what you just said. Cheers to that for sure. Uh, thank you so much.
2: Thanks so much for inviting me. I was thrilled. I uh, I was beginning to think that I would never get asked to be on like a one-on-one podcast that that ship had sailed. So you know, it's uh, it was such a big part of my life. I'm I'm thrilled to uh, look back fondly.
1: This podcast features music used with permission from the Hollow Scene EP by Postmodern Machine. Available wherever you get bandcamp.com, but please visit postmodernmachine.com. This has been Primetime Flies, a Channel 101 podcast hosted by Todd Donald. Thanks for listening.